Uh, this week is a single sermon on fatherhood, and we cover a number of topics, uh, specifically talking about what does the Lord expect from each of us as we are fathers. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, June 21st, Father's Day, 2015. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, happy Father's Day, first of all. It is officially Father's Day. This is a one-off sermon series, uh, part, not part of a series, so we had just finished up Me, a Missionary. That's, that's now finished. This is a one-time uh, talking about fathers, and I don't think I've preached on Father's Day before here, and there's maybe a reason why. I just like, I'm a little bit, uh, there's some trepidation when you start preaching about like marriage. When I'm married, it would be way easier if I wasn't married to just say, here's what the Bible says, do it. Uh, the same thing is when we start talking about being a dad and what that means to be a biblical dad. I'm a dad, so there's a little bit more pressure with that. So, but I think it, it's probably worth working through some of this awkwardness because I've never met a dad who doesn't want to be a great dad, ever. There, I've never met a dad that says, you know, I'm kind of shooting for here. You know, the, and the reason and, and the way to become a great dad is not listen to, like, pastor. Here's what pastor thinks about being a dad. The way that we figure that out is say, what does the Bible have to say about this great responsibility we have of being fathers and the encouragement it has and the warnings and the instructions? So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking in, as I said, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, this is built on uh, a relationship that God has already set with you when we talk about fathers and you all have had a father. And I'll just let that kind of sink in. Yeah, if some, you can't frown. You've all had a father, so, or have a father currently. And uh, what we're going to be looking at is this relationship that God has already built with us. When we pick songs for today, it's really easy. Mother's Day, not so easy. But Father's Day, there's like half the songs in the hymnal and half the songs written mention the Father, so it's not that difficult. A couple things. God says you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So now we're starting talking about this relationship that God the Father has built with you. When we pray, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, so that we're already recognizing this relationship that we have. Or even John says it this way, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. So we have this relationship with the Father. Why does that matter? We've kind of explained it. When we talked on marriage, we talked about this a little bit. Um, if You have to have a right relationship with the Heavenly Father in order to have a right relationship with your spouse. So when you're filled up by, the, here's the only example I could think of. Um, do you recognize that picture? They don't do this with water. So this is a champagne fountain. I don't know where the, Great Gatsby does it. Do they do it anywhere else? Th this was not at my wedding. So maybe somebody else had one of these cool champagne fountains. But here's the picture. The Heavenly Father has so poured into you with his love and concern and his sacrifice and his compassion that this changes your mindset. You're saying, okay, I have no right to be close to God. And God says, I have come down to you. I have loved you in a way that you cannot imagine. Now you can have a right relationship with your spouse. And only then. So when God says, think of the other person before yourself, you're not going to do that naturally. When God says, uh, have a sacrificial love, you're not going to do that naturally. But when you know God loves you this way, and God has poured into you like this, you can pour into your spouse without fear. You know, this gives you a dare to love your spouse the way that God intends. Same thing is true now. If you have a right relationship with your spouse, then you can have a right relationship with your kids. You can't flip that around. So, in what we mean is, let's just say, for example, your kids, you try and find all your joy 
and uh, you find the great fulfillment in your kids and not in God, they're just not going to do that. They can't. That's, that's asking your kids to do something they're not able to do. But instead, God has filled us up. We have a right relationship with our spouse, and we can pour into our kids. And only then, I think, as a family, you can have an influence in your neighborhood. If you've got a jumbled mess at home, you're probably not going to have a great influence on your neighborhood. That's just a guess. So let's just kind of work backwards. We're going to start with kids. We don't have a lot of kids in here today. Um, the kids, this is what the Bible says. It's very clear. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Parents are high-fiving right now. This is, what, this is, uh, this is kind of what it comes down to. So uh, no matter your age, if you're 10 or 20 or 50, it says you should obey your parents. Is this easy to do or not easy to do? It depends on your parents. If you've got a parent that says, like, you should go eat more ice cream, it's a lot easier. But most of the time, this is not really easy. So when I was a kid, and I've told you this before, on, it was like Mother's Day or my mother's birthday, I said, Mom, what would you like for Mother's Day? And she said, I think if you would help out around the house, that would be great. So I'll let you interpret what that means. So it could mean, you know, positively, I had especially messy siblings, and I was so helpful already. Just a little bit more help would be really great. Or maybe I could have helped out, you know, a, a little bit more. And I think, you know, that's not that great. What happens if your dad, so imagine you're growing up, and your dad says, and you say to your dad, what would you like for Father's Day? Does this happen to any dads today? My kids will ask that, and I always have to think of their budget, and I'm like, how about some chocolate? That would be great. Or a card, that would, that would be good. When you get older, I'll ask for bigger things. So, <laughs> and I'll say, remember your college. You know, that, I'll lay these out. Um, you know, so what happens if I just said to my kids, I would love if you would just honor and obey me for a whole year. As a dad, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, you just say once, like, go do something, and they do it. And with respect, and there's no back talk or even weird looks, they just say, you got it, dad. That's a great idea. So, but then I thought, what happens if my dad said that to me when I was growing up, and my dad said, I want you to honor and obey me, Jared. That would be just enough. I think I would kind of come back and say, Dad, just to clarify, because I know you, this is a special day for you. This is a big deal. When you say honor and obey, that's code for a coffee cup and a tie, right? right? That's what you're looking for. What happens, Dad, if I put them in one? Like, this could be the greatest gift ever. No, actually listening to your parents is hard, and to do what they want is hard, because you've got your own agenda, and it's frustrating, and it leads to frustration. So, but this is not where it ends, kids. So it's not just, it should be enough. God says honor and obey. It should be enough. But God attaches a promise to it. God says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and you may enjoy long life on the earth. I will paraphrase the last sentence. That is not a death threat, but it, I'll paraphrase it to my kids. This is what I say to them. Life is better when you listen to dad. And I have to say this a lot, but it's true, right? If you listen to your dad, life is better. Just like any relationship, like they're, they're complaining about a teacher, you could say life is better if you listen to your teacher. Life is better if you listen to your boss. Life is usually not better if you listen to your older sibling. But life is better, it, like if you listen to your dad, because you can have more fun. The things like when you break stuff, I don't have to spend money to fix things. Instead, we can go like do fun things. Uh, we, can, we can try different things. When I teach the kids in school, there's classes that are really well-behaved, and we have a ton of fun, and if you just say, hey, let's settle it down, it's good. And then there's classes, like, you try and play a game, 
and it gets crazy, and you're like, all right, shut down the game, right? Life is better when you listen to your parents. Here's good news, kids. God does not say that parents can just ask you to do anything you want, that we want. So you're not like our little genie bottles that we just rub and we're like, hey, I need the lawn mode. Rub, 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 rub. Come on the lawn. You know, that's not how it works. Instead, God has asked us some pretty high expectation, especially of fathers. So let's just talk about this for a bit. This section, I think, has two parts to it. Is this a familiar verse? Okay. This, I think, has two parts to it. So the first part we're going to touch on, and then we're going to touch on the last part. So fathers, do not exasperate your children. That's the first part. Fathers, don't do this. And this is specifically to fathers. So I want you to do an exercise. If you have your pen along, write some things that would have been exasperating that your father did to you. So I'll give you like 30 seconds. You can write it in code. If your dad's next to you, just say like nothing. I, I don't have anything. <laughs> can you think of exasperating things that your parents did? Exasperating things your pastor does, like asking you to write things down during a sermon. You're like, I'm here to sit and get. You just back off. So exasperating things. What are some things that causes exasperation? Number one, I think, I'm going to give you an example, I think, in the world, and then give you an example where I think it works out in parents. Exasperating to me is when you have an inconsistent relationship with someone. Like you've got a boss or you've got a teacher that the target is always moving. And like, or that person's inconsistent, you never know which one you're going to get. Like some days they come in to work or you're in school and they're all happy. They're like singing and they don't care if people are talking. And then the next day they're like, they're all mad or you like put in an assignment and one time they're like hey that's good yeah that works and then the next time you put the like the exact same work into it and they're like this is terrible did anyone ever have a relationship like that this is like an exasperating relationship it like sucks life out of you the same thing can happen as a parent when you try and raise your kids and they never know which parent they're going to get that's exasperating it's exasperating when the target is always moving when the expectations aren't clear. Kids don't mind work, just like you don't mind work. You don't mind high expectations. It's just when that expectation is moving, it's not very fun. I had a college professor. I was in honors literature. I don't even know how I got in that class. Somehow I jumped from no literature to honors literature because it was available on the schedule. So I was in honors literature, and has anyone read O. Catherine? Good. All right, so O. Catherine is like 150 pages long, if that. So this is honors lit. We sit down, and he goes, okay, I won't do an impersonation. <laughs> I won't. I'm refusing, refusing. So he hands us, and he goes, read this book. We're got, got it. We read it, done. And we're like, this is really awesome. We're in honors English. It just, we just read the book in like, what, a night, not even in a couple hours, and we're good to go. We talked about it for three weeks, about the affinity with the land and all this stuff, and we're all like, what? And we're doing quizzes, and there's 150 pages. This is not hard. And then we get done. And he starts churning the books out. He's like, okay, uh, we're going to read Joseph Keller, I think his name is. Uh, we're going to read Catch-22. Uh, um, Catch is it Keller? Heller? Yeah, so he hands that out, and he's like, okay, we read this. Uh, let's have it done by Friday. And this is like Thursday. You're like, what? Wait, whoa, 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 what? And then we got a quiz, and then he'd hammer that. We'd be done with that in three days. He'd give us another book, and another book, and another book. We were reading like two, 300 pages a night sometimes, and you're like, where did this come from? And in fact, the class started to boycott because they were so angry and then I went as the liaison. I said, I'm going to go talk to him. So I went and said, hey, just for the future, come out 
blazing. You know, like, give us work and say, this class is about work and hit it. Everyone will be fine with that. You can't start slow and then just drop the hammer. You can start fast and slow down. I don't know if he took my advice or not. We're still friends at some level. Okay, so that's inconsistent. Another way I think that people would be exasperating. What would be another relationship that would be exasperating to you? When someone does not do what you ask them to do, or when someone does not do what they say they're going to do, I think that's frustrating. I mean, uh, let's think of examples in a movie. Clark W. Giswold was supposed to get a holiday bonus, remember, to put in a pool. It didn't happen. How did he feel about it? Has that ever happened in your life? You've had a boss or a relationship, or maybe that was the relationship with your father. He was always saying, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to go do that. We're going to do this, and it never happened. That leads to exasperation. Your kids... I don't think, expect you to be the greatest dad ever. But they expect you to be the best dad they've ever had. And so even if you're terrible and you throw like the guy in the Volkswagen commercial, have you seen that commercial? <laughs> it still cracks me up. I actually saw, I was at a game and I had to go do an intervention. Now you're just thinking I'm the intervention guy. Um, this actually happened. So we're at my daughter's lacrosse game and the dad was showing his son how to throw, the uh, how to throw a baseball and it, so I couldn't handle it. Like I'm like, he's going to throw his arm. Oh, I can't handle this. So I just went over there. Ah, you know, here's a couple tips because it looked kind of like this guy. Even if you throw like that, it does not matter to your son or your daughter. And if you say, hey, we're going to go throw some balls, they don't care as long as you go and do it. Even if you hate Minecraft, no, so you can't stand it, but if you say, hey, we're going to go play some Minecraft together, you got to go do it. Even if you hate smashing rocks and you say, this is what we're going to do, you got to go do it. If you're going to go get ice cream, go do it. So what you say you're going to do, you got to do when it comes to positive things, then we're going to talk about discipline in a little bit. A uh, third thing that I think causes exasperation is uh, the overbearingness. Uh, we'll come back to that, sorry. Um, is when you're overbearing. I just don't want that picture on, so I gotta we'll do that. The uh, w overbearing. Have you ever heard a coach who has just rode you and never let up? Has anyone had a relationship like that, like again and again? It felt like you could never do anything right. You ever have a boss where you're doing things and they just kind of stand around and they're always correcting you the whole time? Anybody have that? Is that enjoy to work in that situation or is that exasperating? So I'm going to talk about this a little bit. This happens at home when you're stressed out, you come home, and suddenly little things like ground-level things become a big thing, and you're so frustrated. You're like, why can't you just clean your room? Why can't you pick up after yourself? Why can't you pick the socks up? Why can't you do this? Why do you have to watch TV? Did you ever find yourself in that situation? Or is this strictly autobiographical? Let's just step back and say, what's the cure before that, before we get to important things? My cure for that in my own life, when we talk about exasperation and kind of being um, on my kids more than I should and making a big deal about things that probably aren't that big of a deal, is perspective. So in my job, I determine, as a pastor, what are things that I think are most important and what, where am I the most happy? I think I've told you this before. If I put good effort in my sermon, if I have contact with people, and if I do long-range planning, if those three things happen in a week, it's a good week. Like, that could be the only thing that happens. And I'm happy. It's like that jar illustration. Have you seen it? Everyone's seen this illustration like a hundred times. Otherwise, it would bring the jar in. But there's a jar, and you can't fit everything in it, so you put, like, you try and put the water in, and then the rocks, and it all spills over. Have you seen this? Okay. Well, people are looking at me funny. All right. 
Imagine this. We have a jar, and we have these large rocks. We take the large rocks in first, and then the medium-sized rocks, and then the pebbles, and then the water, and it all fits perfectly. And if you try and do it in reverse order, it doesn't fit. That's the point of you have to decide what makes you happy and what makes you function in order to find the most joy in life, whether it's you as a person or as your job and as a dad. So exercise number two, and this is the last one. Just think in your head. I wish we had like 15 minutes to work this out. What are you trying to do with your kids? Like, what's your goal? If you don't have a goal, you're, you're going to reach it. I guarantee that. What are you trying to do with your kids? And if your goal is, as God says, train them up in the way of the Lord, that should be like number one. If your goal is to have responsible kids, that's going to dictate how you function. If your goal is to have kids that are respectful to authority, that dictates how you function. If your goal is to have kind, delightful kids, that's going to make choices. And when those choices happen, you're going to be happier. And this is what happens in my own life, and this is just my own advice. When I have that perspective that I'm doing these big picture, 10,000 foot kind of things, the little things aren't that big of a deal. But when I forget these things and I'm just looking at socks on the floor or cereal that's not put away or milk that's sat out for two hours because they had cereal, I mean, just hypothetically, those things get really frustrating. But if you say, hey, here's my goal as a dad. My goal as a dad is to make sure that we have devotion as a family. This becomes a big deal. My goal is that my kids understand right and wrong. My goal is that my kids are honest. My goal, and you say, okay, this is what this is about, that my kids are responsible and they do what they want. It makes it not so tight. Second part. Train them up in the instruction of the Lord. This is going to get a little bit sensitive, um, and so I'm going to break it up with a story of dogs, or cat videos, one of the two. I don't see too many dads who are overbearing on their kids. For the most part, in my, my 15 years of doing ministry and watching families, I don't see a lot of dads that are like, you know the dad in Disney movies are the best player? Usually he drinks too much and he belittles his kid. Have you seen that? I do not run into that that often. In my, this is not most kids. It's the number one, it's the star player in like McFarlane, the runner. Same thing happens in a running movie. Every single football movie I've ever watched, the best player, their dad is a jerk. Every single time. That's not what I see in life. I don't see dads. In my lifetime though, it is sort of, it used to kind of feel like that, but in my lifetime it's sort of shifted to this passive fathering the fathering where the default is just let it go and not worry about it. And I think that's a big concern because God says, I want you to be active dads. I want you to step up and take this role seriously as you try and be your, the, the father of your kids. So I'll give some examples when it comes to um, discipline. Why would you discipline your kid? Like, why would you train your kid? Why would you bother? Because it's not very pleasant, I'll tell you that. It's not quite like when they'd say, like, this hurts me more than it hurts you when I got spanked as a kid. And I don't think this is about spanking or not spanking. I don't care what you do. This is not about timeouts or not timeouts. I don't care what you do. But you are called by God to train up your kids. This is what it says in the Proverbs. A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. There's, there's a group of 
there's a group of fathers that I see in general, like in society, and it, it permeates, it, society permeates into ours that want to protect their kids so much from any bad thing to happen in their life. The last thing they want is any bad thing to happen from them. And so they think, okay, if I'm just nice to my kids all the time, you know, I can threaten and I can yell or I can say, if you don't do what you say you're going to do and bring unpleasant consequences when they rebel, they want you to discipline them. They're testing to say, God, do you care enough, Dad, to back up what you say you're going to do? Don't disappoint them. Let me give you the story of dogs because this is getting a little sensitive. Bill Murray says, I'm suspicious of people who don't like dogs. I like dogs. I said I didn't love dogs. But I trust a dog when it doesn't like a person. I've met a whole lot of dogs in my lifetime. Lots of dogs. I don't currently have a dog. Now everyone's getting self-conscious about their dogs. Don't get self-conscious. I was trying to make this so you're not self-conscious about how you discipline your kids. Okay. Okay, have you met pleasant dogs that are great to be around? Okay, you've met dogs that are fantastic, right? These are wonderful dogs. That they, they're, they're pleasant, they're delightful, and they're great to be around. Does that happen by accident? Does anyone know, like, you just have a dog, and you're like, oh, it's a good dog, and then it's just really good, and it just does everything right? No, this is not how it works. You have a dog that you have to work with, and you have to train it, and you work, and you work, and you work. Some dogs, I think, are easier than others. My dog growing up, not an easy dog. He was, like, had Napoleon's disease. He was a wiener dog, like this big. and You know, some dogs are, are wired a little bit different, and so it takes a little bit more work, right? Same thing, I think, with kids. Not every kid is wired the same. Some take the discipline a little bit more. Some, you just look at them, and they stop, and they go, I get it. This is not right. I shouldn't do this. Some, you work, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you work and you work, and you work, and you work, and you work. Some dogs are like that. So that's why I don't make any judgments when I go to your home. You're like, listen, this dog's hard. We adopted the dog from the guy we bought it from when it was a puppy, but we adopted it. You know, like, or, so that, that's not what I'm getting at. Dogs aren't pleasant by accident. Kids aren't pleasant by accident. There aren't just like good families and bad families. There aren't just good kids and bad kids. This comes with effort. And it comes with a 10,000-foot view of who, what am I trying to do with my kids? And now I'm coming down to their level to say, what can I do to love these kids? It's not about you getting a power trip. It's about showing your love in the way that you discipline. And the result is this. Discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will be a delight to your soul. You ever been around a child who really is a delight? Who's courteous and nice and does what they say they're going to do, and is, uh, you know, listens to adults and makes eye contact, that does not happen by accident. So my encouragement to you is following what God says, and, and, and that involves sometimes bringing discipline. Last thing. Um, train up your child in the way they should go, it says, and train your child, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Part of that role is protection, and I thought we'd just talk about this a little bit. When kids are little, it's really easy, I think. I mean, you say, okay, the street is bad, correct? We all agree the street is bad for kids? A friend was just taking her daughter for a walk, and her daughter wants to go in the street because she knows her mom doesn't want to go in the street. She's running, and, and her mom's chasing her down. This is very clear, right? The street is bad. That's easy. Knives, bad. Yeah, scissors, okay, unless you run with scissors. Then it's bad, right? This is all situational. You can't do these things. So some things are good. It's really easy when kids are little. You can't do that. 
I see, again, when I talk about passive parents, and I'm encouraging you, don't step back when your kids get a little bit older, when the dangers are a little bit different. And in our world of social media, and put some parameters on because this affects the child's life. Your kids aren't little adults. You know, like Renaissance art, you ever see Renaissance art and they look like little adults and big adults? You ever see that? And it looks kind of funny. It is funny because they're not little adults. And I know we want to trust our kids and say this is trying to give them independence. Um, the parent relationship is this. One is mature, one needs to mature. One has guidance, one needs guidance. One has protection, one gives protection. I'm not going to come up here and stand and say, you know, if you love Jesus, this is how you're going to watch your kids. But I am saying in this world of social media, you should probably be aware. Privacy, they can have privacy when they grow up or late teens. But as kids, you need to monitor this stuff and you determine what that means. Does that mean they don't have their phone in the room? I think that's a decent rule. Does it mean they don't look at the internet unless it's in kind of a communal area of the family? I think that's a reasonable expectation. Does it mean they're not on Facebook unless they friend you? I think that's reasonable expectation. Are your kids going to like this? Of course they're not. But that's called being a parent. Being a parent isn't just laying it aside and say, hey, go get them, champ. Being a parent is saying, I care what you see and what goes in your eyes. I care about your view of relationships. I care what your view of sex is. I care of what you see and the things that stain your mind. I care about that. I care about the friends you hang out with. I care about the people you date. I care about the people you're thinking about dating because that's what dads do because you've got to protect someone from not just the world. You have to protect them from themselves. That's what it means to be a dad. And when they start to date, you, again, make your own rules. I make jokes, like my daughters aren't going to date till they're 30. That's not true. You know, 16. But I think the first dates are going to be with the family. It's not going to be like guys showing up in the movies, you know, like in the, he's always got a motorcycle. No, no, I should pause. I actually had a motorcycle. This tells you how not cool I was, though. It was a 440 that sounded like a lawnmower. And Amy and I were 14, 15, 16 years old. Her dad let her go on a date with me, which just says, like, he's like, yeah, I'm not too worried about that guy. <laughs> like, uh, no problem, you know, like, I don't, no worries whatsoever. But uh, you're going to probably date someone who's cool. And this is not going to be the deal. The deal, I think I see dads, like, say, okay, it's about the curfew and make sure they got designated drivers. That's not what it's about. Like, the cows are already out of the barn. You need to be aware of who your kids know who they're thinking about, and you can kind of guide them a little bit and say, hey, that's a terrific kid. I could see why you'd like to be with them. Or you can lay down and say, what does it mean? Uh, what does it mean to find a good spouse? Because you don't date people you wouldn't marry. I don't think that makes sense. You're saying, here's what I'm trying to lay down, because sometimes those relationships that start at 14 and 15 turn into someone you do marry. That's probably enough rant. One of the things I want to do with my kids and this is kind of where, uh, one of the kids' things I want to do with my kids, I've talked about it for like five, six years, is they even wrote out who they want to marry. And this isn't like, I want to marry a prince. Who's, you know, no, they want to marry a guy with a motorcycle. No, no, no. They write who they want to marry. They talk about who do they want, what does that look like to you, kids? And they have beautiful things. They're smarter than I am. They write like someone who loves the Lord. Someone who loves Jesus, someone who respects me, someone who is kind, someone who respects my parents. And what we want to do is video that every single year. I, and, we, and again, it's my fault. I should be doing this. 
sit them down once a year. So now I've got kids that are 8 and 12 and 14 and say, who do you want to marry? And then they say it and we videotape. And then I do it again the next year and the next year. And my goal is when they get married at 52. Now, when they get married at 25, wouldn't it be cool to see a video of this man in my daughter's cases or a woman when they say, I want to marry someone who loves Jesus, who cares about me, who honors my family, who does what they say they're going to do. And sitting next to them in the audience is that very person. Because instead of laying aside being a dad, you say, I'm going to step up and be a dad. And I'm going to guide them when they need guidance and give them counsel when they need counsel and love them when they need love and sometimes say no. And when they rebel against me, there's discipline that comes with it so that they understand this is what it means to be a human and this is what it means to find somebody. That's my goal to you and God has asked you to do the same thing. Step up, man up, and be a dad. Amen.